Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Talk. This is one of your hosts, Rainseeker. And then over here, we have Captain Tastic. Say hello, Captain. Hello. And then over here, we have Tarn Adams, our perpetual guest. <laughs> I am the perpetual guest of Dwarf Fortress Talk. And uh, we are always talking about Dwarf Fortress. Um, That's right. <laughs> we're always looking for new content for this. Because uh, right now we are scraping through some questions today. That's going to be our our uh, topic today. Is uh, we can sing sea shanties. People like that now, right? Yep, let's do that. I mean, it fits. That was beautiful. Yep, I think so. I think I could do it with the door for, uh, fortress voice, but uh, <laughs> but my voice is is tired right now. Um, we have. Uh, some questions that we're going to ask. Um, did we have any business that we need to go through before we started the questions? I wanted to give a quick shout out to Rising Sun on the Dwarf Fortress forums who coded together a Twitch Plays Dwarf Fortress bot for their Twitch channel, which is uh, Twitch TV slash Rising Suns with a Z. So that's sort of like the Twitch Plays Pokemon where you input commands in chat and then that aggregates into the command that is played in the game. Um, oh. I sat in on it and no one was active, but uh, I would like to see that become more beloved. There's a few clips on here of actions taking place, mostly in uh, adventurer mode, but I think that's really fun. And yeah, uh, yeah. Now, when you say rising suns with a Z, uh, which which S or both? Oh, is the you Z? know what? It's it's a suns with a Z. <laughs> yeah, it's done. But, but the but the rise the rising is rising. Yes, with an S. <laughs> I'm sure that's helpful. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll put we'll put the uh, we'll put the name in the show notes. Yep, yep. Let's do that. <laughs> Fantastic. Cool. Well, you want to read the first question, then, Cap? If you're ready. Uh, certainly. Neblime or Neblime Neblime asks: In adventure mode, a lot of the time, you just want to ask people what's happening with them right now. Like, what is scaring you? Why are you fighting? Etc. But we don't have those options, really. Are there plans to add this as a conversation option within the next couple of arcs? Uh, So... (laughs) I'd like to append that I love fooling around in adventure mode and, like, hanging out at the market and talking to people. And I'd like to see some sort of truncation of just people shouting as soon as you get within ear's reach. And also... (laughs) Uh, well, they're they're very enthusiastic. They're trying to sell you like it, it's lively. Leather. I, I like that. Yeah, it could, but it could get condensed down into like oh sure. You hear yeah. you hear the sounds of you know it. It would be nice for more intelligent narration of that. Oh sure, yeah. Especially because you have to click more like three times if enough of them are shouting every single time you take a step, step right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like somehow you can you can magically parse all of the words like you're some kind of supercomputer brain or whatever. Um, when it, it should, you should have to like focus on somebody. I'm not, yeah. I mean, if I don't know if you'd like click on somebody in the new, the new world, we're talking about clicks and stuff, right. So that you'd be like focusing on what they say or what they're hawking or something like that. Um, but, but, uh, to the more like general question, of course, there's like the next couple of arcs, we can't really promise more than we already have naturally. And so like the only, the only thing that this would be related to possibly is like the um the investigation stuff that we were going to do in adventure mode but we didn't get to which is what comes right after the um the uh, premium release is the uh, finishing of the villain stuff in both adventure and dwarf mode and also the army stuff that we said we would do along with like adventure mode medical stuff and a few other things uh so there's gonna be conversation changes um but i'm not sure like if they're going to be uh, anything uh, along these lines. At the same time, I mean, it's like it is. It is important to to know what's going on. <laughs> I, I think there's sort of a contrast between you want to give the player all of the possible information, but also you want it to be tuned to what the player would want to do, and also what makes sense for the character. So there is always going to be either too much information or the player is being denied certain information about, oh, this merchant lost a pebble that was worth a thousand gold because they weren't paying attention to that specific line of text. Yeah, and and that's why we get these giant lists of questions, right? So you I, can... I can't figure out any sort of solution for that, so good luck. 
Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, exposition <laughs> in these procedural systems is always just a nightmare. But uh, at the same time, like, we have the thing now where you can ask them. I mean, you can ask them, um, like, what's their emotional state? And then they give mm-hmm. you, like, one of their thoughts. And sometimes you might get lucky and tell, get a little bit of information uh, in terms of, like, what they're, what's going on, uh, why they're running or whatever. But it's usually, like, I was running because someone attacked me or I'm scared because someone attacked me or something like that. But that's still not like, you know, who <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> things that are very important and that are kind of geared toward action, geared toward player action. Uh, so there's there's a lot that that, that 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 could be changed there while staying kind of within the the realms of what's what's possible um, exposition wise and also fitting in like two to three lines of text. And uh, yeah, I think there's I mean, there's some hope there, especially given like you know, the limited number of sort of play options that people can actually, you know, do in terms of changing the world. They can kill it or they can bring in an artifact or they can dance with it, um, kind of the normal Dwarf Fortress ways of operating. Yeah, you know, dancing with things. Oh, I love yeah. the, I love dancing because it tells you what tile to move to and everything. <laughs> it's like Dance Dance Revolution. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that dancing feature yet. What, what, uh, do you, uh, does it allow you to, uh, get XP from doing that or is it just a mini game that does nothing to the character? I don't recall if you get, if there's a, if your dancing skill increases or your knowledge of the particular dances, which is a, another, another thing it keeps track of, uh, for the player. I don't, I don't remember. Like it, like it, it likely happens over in, in dwarf mode when they're just dancing in the bars and stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm too far, too far removed now to remember exactly how far I got in adventure mode in terms of like giving, actually giving you like skill improvement points and stuff. But, uh, it makes people um, like you and that's the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. You get a reputation as a dancer and they'll, they'll critique like when you're reading poems and dancing and all that stuff, they'll talk about what a good or bad job you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's what I love is that in my mind it's like I want to play a peasant that you know becomes a poet but they're they're limited in their access to nobility and you know it's like as soon as all of these little there's like neurons spreading out of like oh well you can you can create a poem based on things your character likes and knows about and then there's these interactions that spring off from that and the interactions spring off from that and that that's that's a lot of the fun of these social features that a lot of a lot of time in games don't really mean anything, but to me, it's again, it's like I want the experience of stepping on a twig and have having a monster be alerted to my presence, because those are the fun things in like movies and books. And yeah, when you put them in the game, that's rare. Yeah, because ultimately you're interacting with two things, and you're making a game. You're interacting with the computer, and you're interacting with the player's imagination. And so, exactly, building a story. It's what the human brain does. Loves to build stories. Yes. <laughs> well, Very should we go to the next question? Yep. Making great progress. All right. So Manvaru says, about the mining system, now that there has been a good number of years since the hauling mining update, do you have any further thoughts on changes or improvements you'd eventually want to make? Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the the, the suggestions threads along these lines are are normally about like rubble and carts and and things uh that would make the the gameplay slow down and uh sometimes i get the sense that that people aren't you know necessarily tuning into exactly how slow that would make make it make it work if you're trying to do any kind of like dining hall or anything uh at all so i'm not I'm a little leery about changing it to make how, it make it make how it slower. Do you mean slow down, like do, would, would... Uh, like like if you if you have to deal with the stone that's produced in in anything like real world volumes, um, you that'd be the bigger part of the mining job than just breaking up the wall, right? You'd have to mm-hmm. get that yeah. stuff out of there, um, and and it'd be a huge project a huge project if you had to lay down mining tracks for every single hallway. And uh, then out into the rooms and just like you, you get to the, right. the the first summer and then the first autumn and then you're entering winter and you have 
three rooms or something. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, it's a whole different style of play. I mean, I can see the appeal to, to people that treat it like a simulation and so forth. Um, yeah. But there's something to like a dwarf, right? A dwarf is supposed to be able to do this stuff a little bit better. Uh, and at the same time, I think, I think there's room, there's room to move here. Um, but I'm not, I haven't, I haven't thought about it uh, quite enough. I mean, I think it's, it's even a stretch to say that there should be minecart tracks everywhere. It just sort of seems like an extra, an extra step that'll interfere with too much of the rest of the game being seen. Mm. Um, but there's something cool about like pebbles somewhere and, and big old, um, we were talking before at some point about like having like giant mounds of things that you could slide down and uh, the sort of sense that you'd have to clean up a little bit more than you do now. Um, yeah, I might not be a bad thing. I can imagine a situation in which like, unless you work at it, your fortress will become basically a like a quarry full of junk and runoff. And, you know, you want to have a nice fort. <laughs> but then again, also, a lot of the game for some people is trash management, which I think people derive a lot of enjoyment from coming up with creative ways of getting rid of trash. You know, I wonder, uh, Tarn, if you could create an automatic uh, rail system where they just build a rail to the where the mine is happening and then they'll they'll deconstruct it and put it someplace else once the mining operation is done there. Yeah, I mean, you can you can do you can do that kind of thing. Um, I mean, you you might run into into problems with it not kind of being aligned with what the player had wanted, um, mm. uh, and and it's sort of I mean, you get into kind of traveling salesman problem territory of um, making imperfect networks, and then the player seeing like obvious improvements and uh, mm. getting frustrated. Um, but I mean, that's not like we don't already deal with that stuff a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like in terms of like uh, things that I could work on, it 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 doesn't like see itself screaming up the list, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if there if there's like some smaller thing that doesn't really uh, gum up uh, every other feature in the game as sort of a knock on of the changes, then I'd be like pretty open to to seeing you know what changes could be made there. Sure. Um, it's kind of aligned with like the thoughts we uh, maybe talked about before about revisiting cave-ins and stuff, right? Like right now, cave-ins are ridiculous because you can make like a arbitrary 3D shape held in one like sliver of rock and it's fine, right? Mm -hmm. But if that's something that you were that we updated alongside, you know, the need to to do something or other with uh, with some more debris without without adding more trash as as uh, as you mentioned, uh, like, because uh, that is one of the huge problems, having like 40, 50,000 items is actually a big frames per second issue as well. Um, yeah. So it's, it's uh, it, but of course they don't have to be items. They can be flagged terrain, right? Um, like pebbles are right now. So there's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's something that, that, that I'd, I'd be open to. Um, I haven't read the latest suggestions on that if there's a, if there's been some softer suggestions, I haven't seen them yet uh, about kind of a middle ground on mining. Well, that's probably deep in the mining threads. So I can't read every response to every suggestion. That gets to be too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, if I, if I find something like that, that'd be worth looking at. Yeah, guys, put some reasonable suggestions out in the mining thread. <laughs> yeah, or draw my attention to them if they've already been suggested. There you go. Captain, you want to do the next one? Sure thing. Alex McGillivray asks, I'm curious about the stockpile filtering you mentioned in the Steam update. Will this be able able to separate out old worn clothing to help declutter mature forts? What are your thoughts on fortress clutter in general? See, people love trash <laughs> management. Yeah, that's a natural segue. I didn't even, I just, these are all just chronological. I didn't, uh, didn't set that up, but there you go. Um, so no, not not right now. The uh, the the stockpile uh, stuff that we've added to the uh, the Steam update doesn't have. Um, I mean, or is basically a copy of the old one, minus a few things that we need to still finish. 
and it doesn't have a, a damage uh, feature, which is not something that that strikes me as particularly hard to add because um, uh, it already checks all kinds of things about the items before it puts them in a given pile. So uh, uh, certainly, yeah, the ability to do that. But then, what would you want to do, right? I've seen I've seen a few suggestions about uh, old clothing, which is one of the kind of top garbage items because all clothing becomes old. Um, and then just gets chucked if you have new clothing. If it doesn't rot, like, literally to nothing, uh, then it just gets piled as debris. Um, but the, the suggestions I've seen are to either uh, be able to take old clothing and then turn, it, turn enough of it back into cloth, uh, just kind of repurpose it, mm. um, or else to just burn it. <laughs> yeah. That or else have like a special cave snail that comes and eats the old debris. <laughs> and you just you throw it in the pit with the cave snails. Or you decorate so you can, the cave snail. You can finally have the mature form of the purring maggot yes. come from the old the old uh, clothing stockpiles and it turns into like some kind of sock moth. <laughs> sock moth, I like it. <laughs> Lays its eggs among the socks. <laughs> Yeah, although I guess the... the... <laughs> then it spins silk, right? And then you're like, you can, oh, they've got a whole... Yeah, they make more socks. More socks, more moths, more maggots. Purring, <laughs> purring about socks. Comfy, warm, purring sock maggots. Ah, I love my then... purring maggot. <laughs> my little baby. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen enough dwarves cradling purring maggots art, I think, in my life. Yeah, but, we um... need that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well welcome uh, just wait till next week somebody's gonna put it out now yeah yeah no that was that was actually one of the uh one of the horrifying things uh horrifying is the wrong word because it's it's just a food item but the uh kind of things that came out of um uh the drawing of we had to draw dwarven milk and dwarven cheese right um, <laughs> okay. of, course, of course i wasn't the one drawing that like like um Patrick ended up drawing a lot of that stuff from the, like, MEF, from the, uh, the Masterwork mod, uh, ended up, was, was doing a bunch of the art, uh, ended up drawing that thing, and, and MEF is well-traveled, right, as you might, might have seen on, like, the, um, the, uh, forum and, and, and elsewhere, kind of, uh, has been to, you know, 100-plus countries, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so has experienced a lot of different sorts of cheese, <laughs> and had a, had a, had a, a great idea for, um, what the uh, what the dwarven cheese might be like is actually this this there's actually a variety of cheeses um, that actually have kind of living um, maggots inside of them. Oh yeah, and uh, these kind of happy maggot cheeses. And so what? so and, and they and so we actually have the dwarven cheese has a two frame animation because it moves. Beautiful. Um, and that that raises I mean these kind of these deeper sort of questions about like maggots making more maggots or is it like a is it the the purring maggot itself or they're like yeah just chains of maggots that yeah no it's it's gets complicated but we know that there are little worms involved of some kind and um so that yeah that's the the fascinating truth truth about dwarven milk is it might have other little purring maggots inside of it I mean, maybe the purring of the purring maggot is a bunch of maggots inside the maggot making a kind of purring noise as they so move around. It's like a Matryoshka doll of maggots. Maggots. So it's yeah, called, maggots. called Katsu, Mar- uh, Katsu Martsu. Yes, exactly, yeah. It's, it's Sardinian sheep cheese. Yeah, yeah, Corsica and Sardinia. Live everybody's favorite insects. islands. It's a legal maggot uh, cheese. That <laughs> is that fascinating, just makes it, taste it is. It's fascinating. And you can watch videos uh, and uh, get a feel for that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that was, I think I think that was a that was a fascinating contribution to the uh, to the project. And the mystery of the purring maggot only grows. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that's something to talk about, isn't it? Um... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what this show is all about. All right. What's the next question here? Um, all right, Board Warlock says, I was hoping you might ramble at length and wildly speculate <laughs> on what the myth and magic update will look like. It seems to me that fantasy has two schools of thought, hard magic systems versus mysterious and rare magic. 
Will all magic have its source from the gods or artifacts, or will it be hereditary, or will it be cultivated through study? Wheel of Time and Ursula often spoke of the balance. What are your thoughts on that? I know we've we've actually talked at length about it in previous episodes, but why not? Yeah. Let's do some more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the classic. A, oh, sorry. It's going to be a <laughs> classic right ramble. Uh, please drop in some music. Oh, to take yeah. us to to maximum. There so, so this is uh, this is provided uh, by the recording software we're using. There are four preset buttons. Uh, one of them adds this dramatic. It's called the dramatic piano button. And, it sounds uh, like Minecraft music. <laughs> <laughs> That's only appropriate then to yeah. talk about this. So, uh, <laughs> yes, um, you may want to turn it down first, a smidge. Well, I wish I knew how to do that. There's no like, there's no like option. I see a little. There's a little button for it. So I'll just, I'll, I'll just there. Okay. So <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. Yeah. So I think, I think uh, that that was another one. Magic um, takes many forms. Yes. Uh, so, so for us, yeah, that's the thing. Is like, is like we we are kind of his hubristically a word because that certainly applies to the project quite a Why bit. Not? Um, Why not? Why not? Uh, yeah, so there's hubris involved here of saying that, oh, yeah, and we're going to do all that. Yeah, we're going to do all kinds of magic systems, uh, whether the the myth generator prototype that we have kind of already uh, planted some seeds of this, that uh, magic sources can be all over the place. Um, sometimes they involve reagents. Sometimes they're sort of deity involved. There are these kind of um, hereditary things can 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 come up, although it's not like the centerpiece uh, uh, so you don't have to like worry about that kind of polluting the whole system as it can sometimes. Uh, and whether or not it's sort of, um, a scientific system, like kind of a new, a new type of just sort of uh, just essentially adding a new form of steel or whatever. It's like just another part of the world. And this is a magical world, but it all obeys these very strict rules and can mm. be researched. That's, that's, uh, just a, just a part of, what we're planning to do while at the same time, um, you know, we've spoken at length about mystery and, uh, you know, uh, the ability to kind of attach moods to things or make it, yeah, make it seem like things can be capricious or not well understood. And, and you don't need to do that with just dice rolls and things. You can have a whole sort of hidden structure where you can sort of, and then divination comes up. You can kind of divine what the will of the universe or some spirit is partially and then maybe that has some effect on the outcomes and things you can really go a long way with uh, with just uh having a framework and then plugging all that kind of uh, stuff into it which of course brings us to the problem we were talking about earlier in terms of exposition and all that i mean it, it goes it goes on and on and uh, i like encourage people to listen back to the the magic episode we did and uh, maybe two by now or three <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and also uh, just things that we've said on like future of the fortress, uh, the Q and a there um, to kind of get more of a, more of a uh, uh, more just different pictures of what we've talked about. Uh, Cause it's really kind of has been all over the place. I don't think we've specifically talked about, maybe we have, but things like how to enforce balance concepts. Cause that was part of the question is like magical balance and, uh, things like that, and there there are different ways to do ledgers and stuff. We thought about it a bit because, of course, things like order and chaos and that kind of thing uh, comes up. And you can kind of, I mean, computers are good at that. Uh, maybe too good <laughs> at like uh, checkbook accounting stuff, right? So it's, uh, uh, I mean, the the first thing that would happen is probably the ability to game the system or whatever. It's like as long as you like drop a glass of milk on the ground, then you can get the order effect that you actually wanted somewhere else or whatever. But then again, maybe that's not a terrible magic system for some kind of hard science uh, balance sort of form, but uh, another one yeah, might, you know, and at the same time, like if you're, if you're going for the more mysterious one, it's a little harder to detect when a player is like attempting to game the system. So it's hard to make like the gods angry at them for <laughs> dumping the milk on the ground to get the effect uh, of the order effect to happen elsewhere or whatever. Um, uh, so you start to kind of run into a sort of verisimilitude problem that the, the deities aren't acting quite right and that kind of thing. But see, books always uh, have like all... dramatic irony for that. Yeah. Do we have anything that can remotely capture that? Um, well, we'll try our best. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> the program itself is not magic. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, but but I think I think we can we can have fun with uh, fun with those concepts, uh, like the whole like toying around with uh, every kind of variant of D and D alignment charts and all that crap, just to to see what what happens when you try and apply structures to such a complicated mess as we already have. Uh, see if if any of that ends up being playable. I mean, there's going to be a lot of false starts and weird things happening, but that's that's oh, kind yeah. of part of what people are anticipating and probably are going to be enjoying as much as anything. Is, yeah, is, uh, is cats that. can throw fireballs everywhere. So yeah, it's certainly like truck. like you can turn stuff off when it starts getting like if you put your sliders all the way over on maximum entropy, you're kind of going to get what you get. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And and, you know, it's just it's just a it's more like the short story rather than the epic story of the world at that point, because <laughs> the first cat that thinks about the apocalypse uh, when they're hunting a mouse or something will destroy the world. <laughs> That's yep. too bad. Your imagination causes things to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, just being able to like type whatever kind of net hack wish you want at any time and. If everyone else has that capability, then what happens? Uh, you know, it kind of depends on what the engine is capable of in terms of producing people's thoughts and things. And you run into all those kind of problems about supporting effects and thinking ahead and stuff that are all hard problems, but that you can kind of do in little pieces as you approach uh, particular problems and make uh, some things work better than others. Um, you get the same problem with teleport effects we probably talked about in the past. Just uh, you know, how do you do that one? Yeah. Um, if you can teleport it well, but you just do enough of it and it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you want to do the next one here, Cap? Yes. Sad Soviet asks, I'd like to ask if it is possible to convert the square tiles to hexa hex hexagonal. I just say yeah. hex to hexagonal tiles in order to address the issue of moving diagonally in game. You know, it's possible for someone else <laughs> on, on some other project. And I think that'd be really cool. I mean, hexes solve a lot of problems. Um, but it's not going to happen here. Uh, there's too much. Uh, there's too much uh, would need to be changed. It would be an order of magnitude harder than the Z coordinate, which was hard enough, right? Um, yeah. So, but it's it's a good way. I mean, because diagonal stuff is always going to be weird in Dwarf Fortress. It's really, it's, it is strange like being able to move down those diagonal hallways, but some of the construction attachment doesn't work properly. Lighting is a little weird. I mean, line of sight stuff. It's just, you know, it's it's imperfect because, uh, you know, uh, square grids are imperfect compared to the perfect hexagonal grid. What's yeah. a what's a three-dimensional hex? Uh, uh, Hexagon? Uh, Hexadron? Uh, hex, yeah, well... I mean, are you talking have, about a platonic solid or something completely different from a platonic if solid? If it was, if you had a I hex think you can tile with, with hex any platonic Z solids. axis, <laughs> how would that work? I'm trying to think about well, it. Because in the 2D, I, it I makes mean, sense. You, you could just literally stack hexagonal solids, yeah. I mean, no, that would be kind of yeah, a, the but, naive but, way to do it. But, that, but you'd, that's not you'd in the want spirit. to be able to move in, in yeah. different directions. Yeah, it's not in the right spirit, right? You'd want some yeah. kind of like... Uh, some kind of actual 3D tiling of space that is sort of uh, yeah isomorphic in all directions, <laughs> to which I don't know that is possible. Uh, like the way that you can tile hexes, like none of the platonic solids uh, tile space except for a cube. And uh, uh, maybe well no I wouldn't I wouldn't I don't about, actually remember think about body fluids that, through that space the, the, the octahedrons yeah octahedrons how, uh, how yeah. would you model fluids through that space oh uh, they, they, these these become challenging yeah I probably just lost my math card because I forgot some <laughs> facts about three D solids but I'm yeah I'm haven't slept for a while so it's fun just remind me. Used to used to be a professor in uh, at math. Yeah, I used to be a mathematician. I used to think, in fact, specifically about about three uh, D and higher dimensional spaces, and and in fact, more specifically about polyhedra in those spaces. So this is really my the thing I should remember some facts about, but am in fact forgetting facts about them. Um, but but because uh, I'm not seeing the holes right now, it feels like you can't tile space with icosahedrons or dodecahedrons and things. You can obviously tile three D space with a cube. But I'm just kind of, yeah, having the brain fart on on other tilings of 3D space 
that are kind of as nice uh, direction-wise as Hexar, Hexes are, uh, but it seems like a, a losing battle um, to kind of get rid of the corners and things that you want. But there's probably some really cool ones. In fact, there's definitely some really cool thoughts on the thing because it's the kind of thing people think about all the time is making really cool 3D images about space tilings and stuff. Well, yeah, there's a new, new game. Have you seen that uh, game that's coming out based on like different... Uh different uh realms of uh the three dimensions uh maybe like, i don't uh, know what it's uh, hyperbolica oh no i haven't i don't think i've seen that yeah well, that sounds cool i mean i've it's... seen the roguelike in the hyperbolic disc yeah yeah, yeah. no this is something else this is uh he has he even has a really cool um youtube channel but uh he talks about non-euclidean adventure through space and time <laughs> and uh he he does he does some really interesting and trippy um, things like uh, uh, in curved space. So like when everything is, I mean, just the way you look in, in curved space versus uh, <laughs> traditional, um, traditional 2D, I mean, 3D space. And uh, I don't know. Um, check it out on YouTube. It's, uh, uh, it's uh, Hyperbolica. And it's fantastic, guys. You should. It's it'll it'll blow your mind with how uh, extra dimensions work. <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's um there's certainly a lot of room to move there, and none none in our game. <laughs> yep. Reject higher math. Embrace dwarf. Yes. Dwarves and their weird squares. But it's fine. It's fine. Everything will be fine. space in this podcast for us talking about what games and things we're doing just as filler i think people would like i don't know tarn do you do you play games i know you do i just i just finished uh, realms of antiquity uh, which yeah. is this kind of ultima retro type game they put out for a ti-99 but they also bundled in an emulator um oh. so it was a yeah it was just kind of the cool sort of 80s feeling type uh you know, Ultima four to five magic candle era type uh, um, game. And uh, yeah, no, I played it through and actually uh, won it and got on the victory list. I was the first customer to win the game. Oh, nice. So you <laughs> wow. Did you put Toady one on top there? Yep. Yep. They put, they put Toady one up there and linked back to the website. Someone had actually played. There's a, there's a whole kind of Dwarf Fortress Easter egg in the game. Oh, um, that's adorable. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was cool. Adorfable. It was adorfable. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. Good to have games occasionally. I tried the uh, the Dyson Sphere program game. Oh, yeah. I've heard about that. I, I like haven't that. looked at it. It was fun. It was fun. It's I mean, it's just right in there in the whole Factorio satisfactory type of thing, and it's got mm-hmm. planets and stuff. So, um, and it's, yeah, no, it's cool. Uh, Fiki Lily Lily. Uh, okay. Fikalili. Fikalili. Um, you've mentioned that you were thinking of implementing a dragon randomizer in the game that would generate different types of dragons. And I wondered, how would it work? Would it create different races of dragons instead of creating a unique appearance for each dragon, like Forgotten Beasts? Would it determine the size and behavior of these dragons, like having dog-sized docile dra- drakes and bear-sized neutral waverns, for example? Would it determine their intelligence, the element they breathe, their habitat? Um, yeah. There's a part of that question later, but go ahead and answer this Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I guess we'll just do it one at a time here. And the uh, for dragons, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the idea, because, I mean, there's the Forgotten Beast Maker, right? But there's also, like, the Demon Maker and the Night Creature Maker, Mm-hmm. And the uh, the angel maker and the uh, experiment maker. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's uh, the titan maker, uh, and these things all work a little bit differently. But like uh, like like relevant would be like how the the demon maker makes unique demons to lead the goblins, but it also makes kind of just whole classes of them to burst out from underground. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that are that are like there are many many uh, individuals that are all the same type. Would it, would uh, it so, kind of, could it potentially have a, a dragon for us to uh, ride on? Say, like how? It could <laughs> yeah, well, right now that's that's possible, right? I think um, I'm not sure who's managed it, but if you tame the dragons, I think they have the exotic mount tag. I may be wrong about that, but once you're on that, then you're you're good to go. Nice. Um, you could probably ride around on them in adventure mode already. I don't know who's done that or if it's possible or what the obstacles are, but um, yeah, certainly. Uh, so so for us, it was like the main idea though was kind of for the dragon randomizer. The reason we're talking about that is because every time I've talked about the um, this, there's there's kind of pieces that go into this are. The dragon randomizer is meant to be constrained, kind of like the demon one, or, or, or in the sense that it's supposed to produce something that you're like, okay, that's plausibly a dragon, uh, right? Something that you could call a dragon. You know, maybe it has some deviation, right? Like the it might have more of an amphibious feel to its skin, but otherwise looks like a dragon, mm. uh, or it's got six legs, but otherwise very dragon-like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or it's got three heads, but otherwise very dragon-like. You can do certain deviations, but if you do all of the deviations, then you kind of get out of the realm of being reasonably dragonish. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so having constraints, but but still allowing quite a bit of randomness is one of the things. The other thing was that it would be in a moddable format, uh, mm-hmm. unlike the Forgotten Beasts and Demons and things, which are kind of buried in code. I wanted to kind of take the steps to to. Um, Kind of get those things out of out of code, uh, and the dragon was going to be kind of the platform for doing that. And this all kind of ties into what we wanted to do with the myth and magic generator anyway. When we're kind of saying, "What is your universe like?" Then you could say, "Like oh, I just want to use the old text file dragon," or you're like, "Oh, I want to use a dragon maker." Um, and then then you'd be able to to kind of do that. Maybe yeah, even set parameters for that. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. Little baby scamps is sitting on the back of the chair right now. Scamps Beat him on the side. There's a little guy. Yep. Oh, hallelujah, please. Um, so yeah, now he's here for his attention. And um, so you could you could have um, like the in the myth set, myth settings, you could say like, oh, I'd like to have five unique dragons. You know, that's how this universe is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could even be like, I want five unique dragons that occur in kind of the cosmology. They're like important, godly type dragons. Or you're like. I want a one species of lesser dragon <laughs> that there's like, you know, untold wilderness animal numbers of them. And they're all, you know, just like seven feet tops. Uh, and that's kind of dragons here uh, that we wanted to be able to kind of feed in specifiers. Right. And what, if you if you code yeah. the um, or set up the format properly, then you have a lot of power over that with with kind of it's not and it's not super difficult to do. Do you, um, have, uh, you just like have to do it in advance? to crossbreed the dragons so the different traits that come out or like the three might happen or the three tails might happen but you're not sure yeah it's one of the difficult (laughs) problems like we've got the centaur problem or whatever where you're like i want to take any piece of anything and like slap it onto something else that's one of the difficult problems we'd like to handle at some point during the myth and magic thing i'm not sure exactly when but that's that has kind of complications in terms of like the materials and the body parts and that kind of thing that need to be worked out. And then similar related problem is the the kind of half elf problem, right? Mm. It's like you want to you want to be able to take two creatures and then average them or whatever. And then like, <laughs> what does that mean? But if that problem is solvable, um, and there's no reason to think that you can't do something with it, even if it ends up being a little weird, then that kind of gets you the crossbreeding of dragons and Pokemons and whatever else um, that happened. Do people crossbreed Pokemons, or is that some other property? I don't think uh, you can, but it's uh, you, you don't you don't end up with like a, a hybrid Pokemon. <laughs> it it absorbs one traits the other, from. Usually. So yeah. that's what the thing about Ditto is actually you can use Ditto as breeding stock if you only have like for example if you have a legendary Pokemon. Uh-huh. You, you aren't able to catch another one. Got These it. are just things I know. It's just no. It's important to the, for the myth and magic release to to really stake out as much of the kind of fantasy territory as we can. <laughs> um, if that involves breeding little creatures and then having them 
competitively fight to the death in the arena of pokeballs or whatever then um, people just love making animals fight i don't know in all Ul- ultima online you know you catch chickens and laboriously train them up to have slightly higher attack skills <laughs> and then make them fight Jeez. yeah wow i didn't it's know that was a too thing. close too close to real life yeah, that, that's actually true. It's 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 uh, there's a certain boundary when once it becomes real, it becomes vile. Yeah, yeah. You were you yeah you were in there. Were you in there from the beginning on Ultima Online? Uh, not the beginning. Um, around Second Age era when they added the uh, the other islands you could go to. Um, I never. I was never like a PvP guy. Uh, but yeah, I made I made some friends back then and. Uh, they all vanished, and then I started playing Anarchy online, and I met one of them again randomly. <laughs> this is oh. this is way back in time. Yeah, yeah, because I never played it. That was that was like I was like, oh, other people. <laughs> Anar- Anarchy online. That was a real interesting game. It had a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, it really did. It 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 didn't really like as far as like randomized dungeons and stuff. That they it, it just. No one else had that kind of thing. I went back a few years ago just to goof around and, uh, you know, you, you generate a dungeon and it's a hallway with a room on it and there's one guy standing in the room and he attacks you and <laughs> you open a treasure chest and you get your goodies and leave. And I remember doing that for hours and hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we've come so far and yet we're, we have yet to escape the Skinner box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'll, the second part of this question I will get to now. The Gorlax, Fire Imps, Mountain Gnomes, Satyrs, and Foul Blindex. As far as they, as so far they exist, but aren't really that fleshed out per se. They can join civs, but can hardly create one of their own or become more significant in the world they live in. They just wander around, eventually cause havoc, but never really do anything else outside of that. Do you have any plans regarding them? Yeah, a little bit, because the, um, the idea with... Um... Uh, it kind of centers around uh, the animal people more than these, but I think these would kind of come along for the ride, is um, if they weren't going to have giant sprawling cities and things, then we just didn't support them. Like animal people were supposed to either be kind of nomadic or not have settlements at all, but can kind of still talk to each other and have a society and so forth. And uh, we just didn't get to support of that. Um, you can see some of our tents and things and little campfires and stuff that, that happen underground sometimes, or I don't remember quite what it is that it used to put underground, these little things and little groups of them. But it was just something we never addressed and that was kind of more fleshed out in the early days when the game was 2D and they'd have their little bat rides and well attacks and stuff. But it it never, um, never made it to 3D and then we didn't uh, fix that. So we have now sort of set out a time to fix that, certainly after the magic update with the uh, the civilization rewrite that kind of goes into the starting scenario stuff. Mm. Uh, we're going to say like, okay, now we're going to support a, a, a broader array of societies and then uh, a lot of these fantasy creatures will work out a lot better than we than we can support right now. So that's that's the plan. But we don't have like a foul blend deck like document. <laughs> To, uh, to do that, and, and it's kind of unclear how that's going to interact with all of the magic stuff as well. Like, are we going to do the origin stories again? Because they actually came out of the three-toe story, um, uh, one of the uh, the forest ones, the early three-toe stories. Uh, and, um, you know, obviously you can't replicate replicate that exact story, but do we do we just say, like, okay, foul blend decks always come from something evil that happens with satyrs or something, right? It's like, mm-hmm. just just make it happen for me, and they, they, the game always tries to shoo in some, some crap to make it happen or whatever. Um, it already does that in the prototype with uh, with demons and, and night creatures and stuff. So it's, uh, it's, it's doable to have it kind of arrive with certain constraints at a solution to a problem. Uh, if it gets desperate, then it's just like, we curse you or whatever. Sorry. Shit happens. Yeah. They were fair. <laughs> now they're foul. Deal with yes. it. Yes. 
asks, what gave you the idea for smear it out into a spiral in the symbols list? Yeah, so sometimes uh, like the context here is like when a when a character dies or has something bad happen to them in the uh, in the engravings, they can be listed as as being smeared out into a spiral. <laughs> as it's just it's kind of weird compared to like the ones where they're crying or or just you know looking dejected or or whatever or just dead. Um, that that the smeared out into a spiral thing. And I was thinking about this, uh, and I I don't quite remember where it was. My my uh, my impression is that it's going to be one of those things, like the Watership Down cartoon, or some Bakshi cartoon, or like some some Last Unicorn shit. I don't know, like what one of those older cartoons with some imagery like that is my only guess. Cause I just have this kind of image in my head and I don't know where it's from, but uh, you know, something, something kind of artsy like that where something horrible was happening. <laughs> oh. And that's, uh, that's, that's all I could think of for that one. But yeah, it's there. Sounds like something that would happen to you in Shadowgate. <laughs> you interacted with the wrong object and now you're smeared onto a spiral. As a <laughs> Your adventure has ended here. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah, I was trying to think if there was any games that had imagery like that because that's another possibility of some some like '80s or early '90s game. King's Quest. So I, know it's, or... I know it's old. Yeah, I know it's old, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's a cartoon. I mean, like my or a, or a game. It's probably not a movie. Uh, is what I'm thinking. It's like a live action movie. It's either a cartoon or a game. Um, but that that's a lot of ground. <laughs> So yeah, I could I could I could run that by I I think I talked to him about Zach, but I could run it by him again, and we can do like an important show update if I remember if either of us remembers what we were thinking. All right, so that will be our next question. Is from Kirill. How do you design subsystems? Do you create functional requirements before going into full development? Do you model software? Maybe UML? Do you make sure that new features won't break already existing ones do you use some documents from the design stage to check everything um so nothing so complicated as any of that uh <laughs> which is yeah not not necessarily the way to do it depending on your uh you know how your team works and how your process works i mean we do do think a lot ahead of time and we talk uh, publicly about a lot of the things that we're doing that allows other people to think about things and run things by us. And there's just a lot of talking, like, as you've seen with this, this kind of myth and magic thing we've been talking about forever, like people have raised concerns that we wouldn't necessarily have noticed immediately. And uh, we've thought about that um, and how to incorporate them. Uh, and I mean, in, in terms of like making sure things don't break, a uh, part of it is just trying to be responsible with like your 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 code base because your code base can kind of function as a design sort of document in in part because you can search for things and if you if you want to know like everything that's influenced by hatch covers or something like if you're changing something about how portals work then you can just search for those and bam you have everything you need there's some helpful comments and sections to to see what you've got you've got your design notes where you start writing stuff like that down and iterate on that process. Uh, so I don't create like really complicated like white papers or whatever they're called or or, or um, use any uh, external software though. Because uh, usually maintaining those systems is more trouble than it's worth, at least it has been for, for me. Um, but the second your team grows into more people, um, then you have to kind of have stuff like that to keep yourselves on the same page and and to not step on each other's toes and so forth, at least as, as far as I can tell, because I've never really worked on a team before, but that seems to be the things that come up. Uh, so it's, um, yeah, it's more informal, but we do we do try to help ourselves a little bit with easy searches and notes. Lots of text files, just lots of text files. Over a decade ago, one of my friends posited that you use a magic wand to pull lines of code out of your mind and fling them into a text document. <laughs> fully formed and that image is stuck with me for again close to a decade 
Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. We don't have one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of typing, a lot of carpal tunnels and things. Um, but yeah, finding files is like our favorite thing. Search everything for a word and give me the context of it, and um, you can usually find a lot of the headaches that way. It's like I remember being irresponsible as like an eleven-year-old and naming variables. <laughs> uh, you know the funny things that you can think of as an eleven-year-old that are funny to eleven-year-olds, and uh, that isn't helpful for extending programs later on. Uh, <laughs> now my code just basically reads like English most of the time. Jacob writes, so there have been attempts in the past to host Dwarf Fortress on a server. In other words, one server, many clients, one of which is the current player. Would you ever support multiplayer of this kind? So we haven't, as people kind of notice, focused on any kind of um, multiplayer stuff where the players are using the Internet or whatever to like communicate uh, with each other because we have no expertise there, like zero, nothing. Uh, we've supported people like passing saves around. We have a section on our forum where people can, you know, play sequential forts. And uh, people have made uh, a kind of external software that does things like this. Um, and uh, we've we've helped people that are working on stuff like that uh, with memory addresses and and other things that can kind of help them out. But um, in terms of like incorporating it into the core game itself, we need you know, a lot more kind of know-how and support than we have. I mean, there's possibilities if the, the game kind of expands um, after the premium release and stuff. We aren't really sure what sort of direction things will go in terms of, like, other programmers and things like that and what we might work on. I mean, obviously, there's just a lot of bugs to iron out and other things like that that should probably take take precedence and uh, figuring out to do, you know, proper proper support for ports and things that we can't do now. Um, but I mean, it's the kind of thing where as long as I don't have to do anything with any kind of, uh, I don't even know the names or the words of the libraries and the commands and things that people use. It's like, uh, I know the internet's been around for a long time now, but I don't know anything about how it works in, in code that people write for like peer to peer games or games that talk to servers or games that do anything. Uh, with other people so uh yeah i can't say never anymore like i used to because things are going to change a little bit and i don't know what's going to happen um but it's certainly not on my like personal personal radar yeah all right we're in the last question here Orest marks says the current list of features to be implemented notwithstanding is there any interest or plan to procedurally generate entire races, maybe based on existing races of templates? And if so, to what extent? Well, we've kind of already addressed that a little bit, but by all yeah. means. Yeah, by all means. So, yeah, it's, it's similar to the dragon stuff we just talked about and probably similar to stuff we've talked about in the past when we were toying around with the myth generator prototype, um, I think, on here, right? And we did a procedural races. So that's, that's in there. I mean, we're just going to do it. Um, and... The thing about like templating, like uh, something maybe we haven't talked about is that, like it's really common in like fantasy fiction to have like adjective space and then like dwarf or something, right? Like dark is always favorite. Uh, like dark, <laughs> elf, dark elf, elf and dark dwarf. Dark yeah. dwarf shadow and shadow dwarf, dwarf and forest dwarf. Yeah, yeah, and like kind of dwarf, sort of dwarf, whatever, right? There's or all kinds fiery of fiery dwarf or fiery yeah. dwarf. Yes, these are the fiery dwarves, and then there are the deep, cold dwarves. Yeah. <laughs> Two adjectives, not so good. But uh, Shiny dwarves. Shiny dwarves, yes. And all, all of those down to is like, this one has plus one intelligence and, and different yeah. dark vision. It's yep. it's yeah. never that fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and the thing is, we have the opportunity to make it more fascinating by tying it into creation myth stuff and... Um, giving them you know, like actually realizing some of their sort of fantastic homelands and things, culture yeah. stuff, um, yeah, yep. all that stuff, right? I mean, you can so you can do a, a passable job, and then that's that. I guess fits under kind of the dragon question, like what is the core aspect of a dwarf, and then how can you deviate that while still remaining dwarfy? I mean, it's like there's definitely like a height thing, right? Yeah, like I guess you could put tall in front of dwarf and have the tall dwarfs. 
<laughs> and then they then they're allowed to be taller or something. I mean, I don't know. Uh, the misty kobolds. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like it's it's there's certain rules. It seems like there'd be hard rules and soft rules, um, and and different boundaries. And that's the kind of thing. Where like like we haven't planned specifically what that's going to be like, but it's the sort of thing you can just kind of see us planning it right now, right? It's like yeah. there's uh, there's different different things that uh, that arise immediately, and kind of you use your intuition and your common sense to to try and capture as many of those as you can. And and think about what would be permissible. And you also want to make sure shit doesn't get offensive. It's very easy to make things offensive if you put the wrong adjectives and the wrong words together. And you have to the watch dirty out for that as well. Yeah, just stuff like that. Like you don't don't like you. Yeah, you got to be a little bit careful um, when you're doing that, especially as it relates to like real world contexts. Yeah. And and then uh, then you can just kind of start applying things. And it's the same rules that can make different dragons. Like if you're making a cloud dragon and a cloud dwarf, like what are the things that go together there? What are the things that are different? Um, and it's, you, you can kind of start to see maybe I can make a template that applies to both of them um, mm-hmm. that can j- just use one text template um, to do that. And, uh, and to some extent that's true and to some extent it, it will be more difficult. And it's usually as it relates to like physical form stuff that yeah. we haven't, that it's it just like we've, we've had trouble as, as we were talking about, like the centaurs and the half creatures and so forth, um, that that we need to kind of redo our, our thinking on those uh, yeah. to make them more modular. Uh, they're pretty modular now, right? It's just there's something about the the way they glue together isn't quite isn't quite right, but um, it's doable. And uh, so I think I think the um, yeah. So then then you can you can have like that thing where you're putting the slider just right in the center where you're making generic fantasy universes that feel like properly generic. If you don't tack adjectives in front of half the things, it's not generic enough. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, at the same time, you could also kind of reality check yourself away from that and do the other type of sort of halfway step where you have humans and then like one to two other things, but just have a bunch of human cultures and then a few kind of outliers um, and whether or not that involves, like elves and dwarves or things or things that are more like like the two outlier Skyrim races, for example, right? Where you're oh, sure. you got lizards and cats too. Why the hell not? And um, we have animal people, of course, available for that purpose where you can elevate just one or two of the animal people and the other animal people are either cut or just put off in a forest like they are currently. And um, yeah, there's there's just all kinds of spaces to room with this and uh, run with this. And it's like... Um, there are the hard problems, but there are so many problems that are not hard that we can get a lot of mileage out of just sitting down and, and, and working. And that just about does it for another fantastic episode of Dwarf Fortress Talk. It was fun answering your questions and goofing off as we tend to do. <laughs> As always, uh, you can continue to support Toady on Patreon. Uh, what other plugs do we have? Oh, we should we should uh, thank uh, thank Rising Suns uh, again for for giving us fodder to talk about. Um, Absolutely, and we 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 mentioned. Uh, oh, I did want to mention someone too um, on the Dwarf Fortress forums. I just wanted to acknowledge a really cool idea. Um, the, uh, Lord Doomer, uh, six, 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 six said, I got an idea for making a website where you can log in up to upload a Dwarf Fortress region, and then someone else can log in and download it, but it would be unavailable for download until the one using it re-uploads it, thus allowing people to play in and improve regions by upgrading other forts. So yes, we approve of this idea. That's a really fun website idea. And if you do get around to making that website idea, let us know and we will announce it here. Yeah, yeah, and the World Library. Check them out. Put them yeah. back. Except you're drawing all over the books this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, and we appreciate it, as always. Everyone who donates to, to Toady One and his effort to construct an amazing Dwarf Fortress for you. <laughs> uh, we are continually looking forward to the future here, and we're excited about the new release on Steam I'm going to be streaming the new release of Dwarf Fortress on my Twitch page, which is Twitch, or it's a good morsel, actually. Uh, 
a new branding, a uh, good morsel <laughs> on Twitch, one word. Uh, Going to be streaming new Dwarf Fortress release and uh, Yakuza 0 this month. If you want to see me oh, wow. beat people up in an organized crime fashion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear, hear lots of happy things about those games. People seem to have a lot of it's, genuine I need fun some, tearing around. Yeah, I need a form of socialization and uh, playing video games <laughs> is that now for me. <laughs> Indeed, I hear you. I play a lot of uh, Overwatch. Uh, if you guys see me online as as Rainseeker, that's me. I might have to reinstall right. that. Yeah, yeah you should play shout with out this. your mains. Shout yeah, out your mains. I, I play. I play. I play Farah a lot. Nice, good. <laughs> I also I play Diva. Uh, enjoy Torbjorn. I like to be strong. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know nothing about nothing. <laughs> That's one of those games that has other people. We'll teach you. Oh, no, no, no. There's people. People who <laughs> hide under a table somewhere. <laughs> <laughs>